Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Fashion. Fashion. Goal is actually to produce good things, and fundamentally, our goal is to make people happy. And that seems like a kind of highfalutin thing. But in the same way that we can't live without the Eiffel Tower, or we can't live without Michelangelo, we can't live without these things in our lives. And for some people, that's fashion. My heels are killing me. Hi, I'm Sonia Sly, and Heels is a podcast exploring the ins and outs of the fashion industry with a look at the business, the creative people who drive it, and the challenges that they face in the industry every day. Now, it's a tough time for them right now. How do you build a transparent and ethical business down here at the bottom of the world, for one thing, but also contain costs and stay competitive? Well, that question was front and centre this week with news stories and debate around world, putting major to New Zealand labels to clothes made in Bangladesh. Co-founder Dame Denise Lestrange Courbet has stridently defended her company, saying 99% of their goods are made here, in contrast to most other New Zealand fashion houses. But just a few days before the controversy broke, I was at ID Dunedin Fashion Week, where I conducted a public Q&A session with Benny Castles, the creative director and designer for World. Please note that this was before this week's media headlines, but we did touch on those issues and plenty more in this edited version of our talk in front of a live audience. As this episode was recorded live, please forgive the recording quality of the audio. Benny started the session with a video that transported the audience through some of World's incredible runway shows. get stuck into that I feel like we need to find out a little bit about you a lot of designers come to fashion from a really young age where did you know fashion start for you birth school world (laughs) it's kind of the running order pretty much I finished high school and then got a job world and they haven't really shaken me since in terms of fashion um, there was no uh, you know obvious indicators of getting into the business Um, but probably my earliest and most confounding fashion experience was on a trip to Italy. I went with my father to, uh, he had a Brioni suit tailor-made for himself while we were there. Brioni is, is one of the most famous suit makers in the world. Probably famously these days for the younger crowd, uh, it's the suit worn by James Bond. Um, even in the more modern uh, James Bond, you'll see he'll throw down a suit bag and it'll say Brioni on it. Um, the same way he drives an Aston Martin, that was part of his character. Um, a few years ago, Brioni was, was one of the brands that bought the most expensive bales of wool um, from the Canterbury region of New Zealand. Um, the other one was Xenia. Anyway, so we were at Brioni, and um, we had this formulating and, and fabulous retail experience that my dad had kind of always looked forward to in his life. And um, that was a moment for me where this interest became something a little bit more um, and then, um, yeah, so I finished school and um, I uh, was probably a little bit too headstrong to be pushed in to one direction or another um, and was convinced that I wasn't going to go to university unless I 
knew precisely what I wanted to study and why. Um, I felt very strongly that if there was something I wanted to know, I could read it myself or I could talk to someone about it without needing to, you know, formally be educated. If I did figure out that I wanted to do that, that was something I was very much open to. Uh, a girl that I went to school with and my godmother's daughter and my mother's goddaughter, um, so a close family friend, both worked at World. I sort of wandered in and I thought this might be kind of fun and started working at World and that was some 18 years ago. And that was in retail, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think one of the things that, you know, the ego of a fashion designer will get in the way of is being honest about what we are, is we are retailers. Um, without customers, our art, if we want to call it that, doesn't exist. So for World, all of us, and by all of us, I mean Francis, Denise, and myself, who are co-founders of World, um, and my business partners, um, we all work retail. We all work in the stores. We all want to talk to our customers and be inclusive and active with understanding who they are and, 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 and what we can do to maybe push their envelope a little bit, surprise them with ideas and concepts that perhaps they didn't know they wanted. But wait, I still had that picture in my head of Benny's dad in that Brioni suit, so I needed to find out more. Uh, he was a, a, you know, a classic businessman in his, his day and, um, and was very stylish in his own way, um, in kind of a classic masculine way and did have very good taste a Hawke's Bay farm boy he travelled um, extensively he met my mother in South Africa and then he backpacked through Central Africa they re-met in Greece and then he went to the London School of Economics in, in London which is a prestigious school and I think probably a formulating environment for him both mentally but also um, aesthetically and in terms of the understanding of aspiration, uh, which is something that we don't discuss a lot in New Zealand. It's something that I think a lot of people understand and see when they travel. Aspiration clearly gripped him, and I'm sure he worked alongside or studied alongside people who had worn Brioni suits or had talked about it. And particularly at that time, 60s, 70s, and moving forward, before you have the ability to click on and go, what is Brioni, tap, 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 it was this folklore of conversation. And uh, if you talk to anyone about fashion in the 70s, 80s in New Zealand, you know, there were one or two magazines that might come, but realistically it was someone who was in London who went to Vivian Westwood's shop that told you about her. And I think that idea had always stuck with him. And so when we went to Italy when I was 16, one of the, the journey points was Brioni. It's that fabulous moment as a kid where you sort of walk into a store and you, you pick something up to look at the price tag and then you very shaking a little bit. And then sort of Did you feel intimidated by that? Yeah, yeah. I, love that. I love that. And I think okay. um, that retail intimidation is, is something that exists more in the customer's head than in the retailers. A retail experience is about a journey. For that experience, we were taken on this journey, showing fabrics and styles and shapes, etc. And given the history of Brioni, it was um, intoxicating. You know, 16, 17, 18, I probably didn't think anything about what I was going to do with the rest of my life. I uh, spent a good majority of my um, intellect drinking. But Benny didn't necessarily see himself as creative either. Apparently languages were his thing. And let me just say that this next bit is actually crucial to where Benny is today. You know, the end point. As you guys may well have picked up, I like to talk. Sometimes when I open my mouth, it doesn't close for quite a while. Um, and I would be quite opinionated about what we were doing at Will. And I was significantly in the men's store. And at that time, we didn't have a specific menswear designer. We didn't have the ability as a business to really produce menswear on a great scale, um, and probably on the scale that people wanted it. So at that stage, we were selling 
a number of other brands. I was very opinionated about the fact that we needed more world. People wanted to buy world. So I sort of berated Francis and Denise until um, they said to me, okay, well, we've got a fashion show in four weeks. It's New Zealand Fashion Week. That was 2004 or five, one of those years. And they said, if you can make a collection by then, we'll put it on the runway. If you can make a collection, and what did you do? I mean, obviously, I went home took the challenge. And book and <laughs> came back and made a collection. And what kind of pressure then were you under? That wasn't a, a big deal. It was exciting. You know, I had this wonderful opportunity, which you know, I think probably sounds really like, oh wow, you know, you're going to be a designer for world. But that's not really what the brand is like. We're we're very much um, we're inclusive, we're communicative, we're collaborative, and particularly Francis and Denise understand that the brand is not about them. And there is something really important about that, I think, in the way that the brand cares for itself and cares for the people within it to give opportunity. And I was very fortunate with my timing. But then also, I, I believe very strongly that life is a set of opportunities. And you either understand it's an opportunity and you take it, or you miss the fact that it's an opportunity and you don't take it. What do you think their expectations were? Do you think they expected that you would come up with the goods? I, I think they like to challenge people both in they are, what they present as fashion, as we saw, um, and then also people individually. It's like, well, show us what you can do. And I didn't overthink it. I went in and I thought, okay, read a patent book. I don't need to reinvent the wheel. And I started looking at how I can adapt some of our core blocks into things that I think would maybe be more effective for our customers. How do I use things that we already know to create and present some fun? So we did that and put it on the catwalk, and people liked it, and, and I kept doing it. Um, and then obviously working with, as and when time allowed, with our pet maker and seamstresses. What did the collection look like? I mean, can you remember some of the yeah, pieces? Yeah, yeah, probably my favourite thing was this really cool um, black denim with a, with a red silk thread that ran through it that had this really stupid um, pocket <laughs> detail that became a belt loop and a zip that went up the back. I was trying to think of who our customer was at retail and then present them with something that they didn't quite know that they wanted. So something that was perhaps just a little bit outside of their existing imagination of what fashion could be for them. There was some really lovely suiting. There was a, a beautiful, really classic double-breasted suit, which I've still got. I wore the other day. A, a real play of street versus high fashion. Suits with hoodies and things like that, which seems a bit passe now, but in the early aughts, it was kind of quite cool and a little bit different and a ton of attitude. And then I stole from the women's wear as well. Do you feel like not having trained in fashion gave you an eye into just unleashing yourself? Um, I, I don't think it's so much about an eye. I think probably the one thing that I've seen about not having study is that I, this is not good or bad, but I bypass a lot of time to get where I want to go. There is a, a huge amount of process that I think is studied and taught and lectured upon, which is really important fundamentally. But because I didn't know that there was a process I needed to go through, I just went, right, I'm going to the end. This is what and being in that environment for Benny was much like... Uh, uh, apprenticeship of design. I looked at a few books and some pictures, etc. but actually I was learning as I did it. And then someone would go, what you're doing is wrong. I'll do it this way. And you go, oh, okay, cool. I don't know if that's a, a, a better way to learn, but it certainly worked for me. It allowed me to be really playful and a little silly, and it allowed, I think, Francis and Denise in some ways to stand back a little bit and direct. It's an interesting dynamic within a fashion business, the designer versus a creative director, and having that ability to play off one another and, and use different strengths at different times and kind of argue and bicker and, and get to a result. Back then when you made that first collection, did it work in its entirety, or did, did you feel like you learnt from 
some of those pieces that you oh, made? Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. Uh, no collection works in its entirety. I make stupid mistakes all the time. Most times you make mistakes that you don't know you're making a mistake. That's the great thing about sample sales, you know. And the mistakes are only told to you by the customer. As in, what's not shifting off the shop floor, or if sometimes the cuts just aren't quite right. And that is the, the great leveller of fashion, of, you know, the, the democratisation, is will someone walk into your store and say to you, I love this enough to give you this hard-earned money that is equal to the value that you've placed on your idea? And that is this thing that's not really discussed because it's a transaction of money. When New Zealanders feel comfortable about talking about money, um, but it is fundamental to the fashion cycle is that someone comes in, is excited, is passionate, has shown a concept or an idea, and then goes, you know what, I'm going to give you this for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, that's where I think I was able to learn in a very kind of aggressive way, really. And that's why I still like to work retail today. Speaking of which... One of Benny's most memorable moments was this. In 2009, we opened New Zealand Fashion Week on a Wednesday morning. I did one of the things that I think is the best thing I've ever done, which was a a men's business in a suit that was cut into all different pieces, um, keeping the stripe together, and there was piping running Mm -hmm. through it that connected through the waistcoat and the trouser. You know, a little bit American Psycho and a little bit Tron. I was in the store the day we put it in the shop, guy came in, put it on. I thought he looked great, and he goes, oh, it's a bit shit, isn't it? Okay. Well, at least you get that honest feedback. Mm. It's not, you know, otherwise, in New Zealand, everyone sort of just pats you on the back and goes, oh, yeah, that was, that was pleasant, thanks. I think if I was in Benny's shoes that day, I would have shrunk a little inside myself. I, I, I think one of the things about putting things out of the world is that you have to have some confidence that you will find your audience. Um, and even if you never do, I think you should still be confident with that goal because that's your creative endeavour. But no, I didn't. I kind of enjoyed it. I kind of like that. You know, I don't want people to just think everything's okay. It's all a bit vanilla. It's better that you hate something and love something. Mm. Um, that's more interesting to me. And that very much is what world is about. That irreverence is like, it's, if it's not your thing, it's not your thing, and that's totally fine. Absolutely, yeah. And that's a big part of the concept of world at the, at the very earliest conception and then if you walk into a world store today we have okay a fashion collection and there's a lot of elements to that so you come in and you say oh no, I don't quite like that jacket well let me show you this one and that one and this one and let's say you don't like the fashion altogether which is um, which is fine um, we then have beauty products we have candles we have skincares and those prices you know we have bison heads on the wall and we have antiques so you can come in and buy a $15,000 chandelier if you want or you can buy a $15 lip balm And as far as I'm concerned, both of those things are luxuries, um, and I want you to enjoy them both equally. And one person's $15 is actually the same as someone else's $15,000. So we have to be as respectful of that experience um, to bring them in. But what it means is that it gives the customer an opportunity to be really honest with us and go, I don't like that, but I do like this. Tell me more about this. Now, one thing I was dying to know was the working dynamic between Benny, Denise and Francis, who are all very strong personalities at the helm of World. The first and important thing to understand with World is that we're a personality brand. The thing that ties our customers together is personality. There's something about you, if you're a world person, that we can pull on, and that's your world personality. There's an element to you. That's the same with the team. That initiative lives and breathes through Francis and Denise. Um, And so if I wasn't similar to them, I would have never been in this position or been given this opportunity. I guess my coming into the business as um, as a partner, as a director, has offered them other opportunities. 
Denise, for instance, was able to step away and work heavily in, in charity and foundation work um, and write and talk, which she does um, incredibly well. And it's been a great um, opportunity for both her, but also for the brand as well, um, because she's so well-respected, so knowledgeable, and has such a strong um, opinion about things that I think it's great for people to see, particularly at this moment in time, you know, a strong mm-hmm. woman voicing her opinion and, and running a business and being hands-on and being honest in particular. They are believers that this brand world that they've created is something that should pass on after them. And they're looking to the future, and that's what I'm a part of. And they're also looking for you know, the opportunity to think about what are each person's within our dynamic and our team what are our strengths? So what we should we be doing? In a certain respect, we're a very small business, so we do a variety of different things, like anyone in a small business. And what you learn is what you might actually be good at. Francis used to pay the bills. Um, now, that was not a great result in terms of the business, um, <laughs> okay. you know, with the mathematics and the you know, remembering to do things. Um, and um, what was important was that we actually made sure that his time was spent being creative. Mm. Um, in my opinion, and, and, and I'm not saying this for effect, but I think he's the greatest fashion designer New Zealand's ever produced. I don't think anyone um, gets close to what we saw, particularly in the early stages, and in terms of actually breaking the mould of fashion, putting fashion in the forefront of New Zealand's mentality, um, and producing and understanding that New Zealand can produce that sort of creativity that's on a level with the rest of the world is phenomenal and had he not been asked politely and aggressively by the English customs in the 80s to leave London there would be a brand um, known all over the world as Francis Super there's no doubt about it that's a shame for the planet but a bonus for New Zealand Um, and so it's important for us as a business to make sure that his time is spent actually using his skills in the best possible light and that's where having three of us, um, it works really well. It means we can juggle different things together, means we can bounce ideas off each other, means we can argue, means we can bicker, and do all things that business partners do. How many people are actually in the workroom? It's become less and less over the years. So we used to have somewhere between 12 and 15. We now work with six people, and then Francis, Denise and myself. Which is kind of surprising, given that you'd expect a long-standing brand to expand rather than downsize. And Benny says the funny thing about fashion is... It's particularly difficult to make money. If I were able to talk to myself when I first got into this, this is how difficult these sacrifices, um, do you still want to do it? I'd probably go, no. I'd probably have gone into dog food. Um, (laughs) Or if I was a little bit younger, I think bottled water would have been the one. Because I think, you know, filling some water up in a tap and then putting a lid on and selling for four bucks seems easy. I mean, you know, it's kind of fun. But I didn't think of that, and here I am. The way that, um, and if you talk to most designers, I was talking to Mark Moore, actually, from Stolen Girlfriends Mm. just the other day, and we were both saying, kind of in the same breath, we're doing twice as much work, ten times as fast with half as many people. That's just the nature of business today. Sounds very stressful. Yeah, it is stressful, but I think anyone who has a small business or works in an industry that is, um, you know, not a given, it is stressful. Business is stressful. Um, and you, and small business in New Zealand is, of course, stressful. And a business like ours where no one needs anything that we sell is, of course, stressful because we have to be so good at what we're doing. Mm. And what I mean by that is, you know, hunt together a sense you don't need it, but most things we don't need. I, I didn't need to have two coffees at this cool little place on George Street Kiki's, but I hadn't. What's really important is that we understand that that is a reality and that we do our best to make sure that 
our products have some sort of connection to people and have an ability to add something to their lives or else we're just producing something for money. And that's where you have a conundrum in clothing and fashion as a global industry versus a boutique sense, like what we're doing. And it's stressful, but it's also kind of fun in that stressfulness. It's intoxicating in that I get to not just be a fashion designer. I get to really be a part of and control to a certain extent the entire experience from the formulation of a concept through its growth into a produced item and through into the experience that someone might have in a retail and store uh, environment and then what it's packaged and how the bow's tied and then how we communicate with that person once they get home after they've opened it and worn and enjoyed their piece. And it's that whole experience that really fascinates me as opposed to just a minute part of it. I asked Benny about the pressures that designers are under today and whether he feels inhibited or constrained by the need to sell product And that was kind of in light of Stolen Girlfriend's Mark Moore, who I interviewed last year. And he talked about losing his way in terms of his creativity and trying to actually conform to what he, you know, what was hot at the time. And that just didn't feel authentic to him. So I only met Mark for the first time just the other day. So I'm just going to go ahead and talk to him as well. Um, (laughs) First and foremost, we're not trying to be cool. We're not the thing. We're not, you know, hot of the moment. And I would hate to be that because as soon as you're hot, you're not. That's a very bizarre thing with fashion and trying to understand global trends and what colours are in. I have no interest in doing that whatsoever. If we go back to what we were saying slightly earlier, which is Francis and Denise formulated this brand with such attitude and personality and sore thumb mentality to stand out and be, this is who I am and I don't give a shit what you think. There is an ability for us as designers to just do what we want to do and figure out how to sell it later. The conf of having to be creative to you know, create revenue is an interesting creative dead end. You can just start going around and around in a circle if you get yourself into that spin. But it also affords you some interesting creative options. You know, Season upon season, I don't invent things. I wasn't the first one to design the shirt. It was done hundreds of years ago. But what I am trying to do is reinvent the familiar So to bring something that someone goes, oh yeah, I can understand what that means, and I get that, and I can try that on, and I can wear that, but it's a little bit different to the one I had before, and that really excites me because of this or because of that. You know, there's a subtlety to that creative process that I find fascinating. So it's not all big idea concepts. It's, ooh, just changing that little button or doing this slightly differently or finding that fabric has a a fascinating aspect to it. I mean, even the fact that the tagline for World is a factory of ideas and experiments means that you can be playing on that ground within that sphere, pushing those boundaries. Our environment or our workspace is a a little church in, in central Auckland that's a mess. It's a dusty hive of stuff. We have fun playing in that. You know, there's just piles of things and ideas and all of this all over the place. In the end, I think fundamentally we're not in it to make money. That's actually not the goal of our business. There are other businesses where the goal is simply to make money. Less and less that is the goal of business. The goal is actually to produce good things. And fundamentally our goal is to make people happy. And that seems like a kind of highfalutin thing. But in the same way that we can't live without the Eiffel Tower or we can't live without Michelangelo, we can't live without these things in our lives. And for some people, that's fashion. For some people, that's cars. Um, And I don't disrespect or judge the person who's standing around talking about a Holden because I'm excited that that person is passionate about something. 
And I think that's where fashion has a place in people's lives, in that you can be passionate about it, but also it can represent who you are. How I put myself together should make that obvious, but I'm a money-where-my-mouth-is kind of designer. I'm not going, oh, I'm going to do something fruity for some fruity people that I don't know. I'm doing something fruity for this fruity person I do know. If that appeals to you or you think that's interesting and you want to say hello, then great. If not, you think that we don't even want to talk to me, fine, that's okay too. There's lots of other people. Do you see yourself as an artist? No. No? It is such an experimental brand, and you're always sort of doing different projects. I mean, World have you know worked on sort of couture pieces, right, that are now held by museums or have been in the yep. past. Is yeah, there anything yeah. like that happening at the moment? Yeah, there is actually. Um, Dr. Peter Shand, who's the head of Elam in Auckland, um, is working on a combination of art and fashion for an exhibition in Tauranga. New Zealand needs to change the way that we look at fashion versus art. One of the most wonderful ways to draw people into art is through fashion. Because it's really difficult for someone who is not interested, who is just wanting to follow whoever they're with into an art gallery, to walk up to um, a Monet and have any kind of reaction. There needs to be some insight or knowledge or historical significance to looking at that. But if you walk into a room that has, you know, christened your dresses from the 50s, Anyone can have a reaction to that and go, I think it's beautiful, I think it's ugly, or I'd wear it, or I wouldn't wear it. And that's much more difficult to do with art, and particularly modern art, whereas fashion offers you this opportunity to engage with it immediately and instinctively and without any prior knowledge, which I think is a great way, a great democratizer of art that brings people in. But no, I don't think I'm an artist. Okay. But on that point of, like, you know, creativity, and in terms of designing, do you always have more in the collection that you're kind of having to cull? Are there pieces that you're just going, that's just not enough, that's not pushing the boundaries enough? I used to design quite seriously into collections, and I used to design very specifically about, okay, this trouser, with you've got these three shirts that you're going to wear with it, you've got this vest, and this, and we can go with it, but if you wear that, you can't wear this jacket, and this has to be gone like this. It was becoming a mathematical equation, and I was having to explain too much about where it was all putting together. And then I sort of sat back and thought about it and looked at myself and said, who are you to be telling people how to dress themselves? You should be giving them opportunities, but not actually being dictatorial. That is where World's concept of being inclusive and open is different to other brands which are more dictating as to how you should look. I want to put clothes on you and then look at your face, and if your face lights up and smiles, I will then go, we've found the right outfit for you. If your face doesn't light up and smile, we're going to change it and put you something else because we haven't made it work. And so I've changed from this kind of more prescriptive uh, focus. And I would sit down and I would design specifically for collection and season. Seasons aren't seasons anymore. It seems bizarre that the way the seasons are moving throughout the year. But the economic forces mean that we need to still have our collections in store earlier and earlier. We put in winter, for instance, in the last week of January this year. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I'm pretty sure February is the hottest month of the year. So it's bizarre that we're doing that. So we got rid of the word autumn-winter from our collection tagline and just went new collection. <laughs> it's about new ideas. No one's fundamentally going, I'm thinking about coats because winter's coming. They're going, I want new things. Um, and women are the only uh, group in our species who are able to keep in mind that coming at us is colder weather that the world turns and acts as men don't have the ability to remember that that happens so what boys do is they go oh, I'm cold I'm going to buy a jersey whereas a woman will actually go 
the cold weather is coming, I would like to look for jerseys. Fundamentally, we uh, had to change the way we were designing. But also what I noticed in the way that our customers were shopping is that I would design a suit and I would go, okay, cool, the customer's going to buy this and you're going to put it, yeah, this is all going to work like this and that's really fantastic. But then the customer goes, oh, I like, oh, I like that jacket, but actually I like those pants. And that top's quite cool, yeah, I'm going to buy those three things. And I'm going, well, I haven't really sold you an outfit, but I guess I've engaged your wardrobe in some way. Mm. And so really we, we think of ourselves um, as a team, as 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 service-orientated people, culturing of a wardrobe and understanding that customer, who they are, what the solutions for their life need to be, and also what their wardrobe looks like over seasons. I just design all the time. Tonight, after we have our judges' dinner, I'll probably go home and design a couple of garments. I'll probably steal a couple of ideas from the emerging designers. Um, probably off a couple of people in the street here in Dunedin and um, take a couple of ideas of how they've put themselves together and meld that into something that speaks truly about what we do and, and what I want to say. When it comes time for us to, to turn the page into a new collection, which is really only defined by the fact that we have specific breaks in our production to suit those collections, which actually don't really exist anymore anyway, we just kind of move into this, this new period. And so I've always got 15 or 20 things ready to go. And then sometimes you pull something out that you did six months ago and you're like, shit, you know. And then you pull something else out and you go, oh, that's really great. I forgot I did that. That's cool. Mm. And what it means is that we have more, I guess, more freedom and, and a kind of more open approach about how we actually put together concepts, collections, and in the end, silhouettes and outfits. Speaking of production, one thing that's really interesting about World is that you've managed to keep production onshore. What, what are the actual challenges or benefits do you see in that? And has it ever been tempting to shift it offshore? It, it's not tempting to shift it off, offshore. The reality is, is that one day it will have to be if things remain as they are. Mm. Um, and reason being is that I'm, there's a number of people in this room, like myself, who are parents, I'm sure, and very few of us are producing our children to be seamstresses and garment technicians. So who's going to make the stuff? There ends the fashion industry in New Zealand. I mean, do you feel like oh. institutions are not actually you know, producing enough of those people? Um, or is there no well, desire well, there? Well, they are service providers for people who want something. And very few people want to go to a university pay thousands of dollars because they are expensive. But no one wants to pay for that to become a garment technician. They want to become John Galliano. And the reality of that is that young people um, come out into the industry raring and ready to go, but there aren't actually the places for them. As a brand like ours, we don't employ designers. We certainly don't have money for them. There isn't a clear path for those people. And speaking about the industry, what's happening is there are these wonderful people who have incredible knowledge, know-how, understanding about how to make garments, how to cut patterns, how to make patterns, how to do these things far beyond any intelligence I could ever muster on the subjects. And they are retiring and leaving the industry without passing that information on because there isn't actually people coming through. We're losing an incredible amount of understanding within our industry. And as brands take things overseas to hit better price points, it means less and less people have that opportunity. What is keeping the industry alive is immigrants coming to New Zealand, bringing wonderful knowledge, great understanding, um, new techniques, uh, enthusiasm, hard work. And that is enlivening the New Zealand fashion industry. Um, for instance, in New Zealand, uh, sorry, in Auckland, there is a woman. She is a genius um, at buttonholing. And she is looking to retire and sell her business. No one is buying her business. And when she retires, I will stop making jackets with buttons, just put zips on them, because there won't be anyone to put buttons on the guns. 
And that is a fundamental reality of the New Zealand fashion industry. And one of the issues that we've got is as people in New Zealand, we have to understand what this country has the ability to be. We don't have the ability to compete with Zara or H&M or any of these sorts of brands that are making bulk products across the world. But what we can compete with is with luxury boutique presentation of fashion in the same way that we are doing it with wine or honey or milk produce. And I think there's a huge variety of industries in New Zealand that we need to uh, example and put effort and love and energy in to do very, very well. And I believe fashion could be one of those industries that will continue to employ a vast number of people, um, both creatively and functionally. Um, and of course, it's a part of all of our lives. My favorite quote in the world is naked people have little or no influence on society. Clothes maketh the man. And disinterest is a form of interest to go, oh, I just get the top shirt out of the drawer. Um, is as much thought as, oh, I put this all together to look like this. It's presenting yourself in a way. Um, and I believe that's something that is intrinsic to New Zealand people is being individual, presenting yourself as a person. And I believe there's an opportunity for this industry to be a great boutique representation of New Zealand at a luxury end. But we have to keep the skills. Do you feel guilty? Is there, is there that sense of guilt of what it means to keep producing, to sell these things that, yeah, essentially people don't really need? Um, no, not at all. There are far more bigger problems to the gluttony of the planet than high-end fashion. I don't think young women in New Zealand want to go buy a dress, wear it once, vomit on it and throw it away. New Zealand women want to buy something that they love, and, and men, don't get me wrong, because that is a changing point of view. They want to buy things they love, feel great, feel sophisticated or elegant or sexy or whatever you're trying to achieve, powerful or strong, and present themselves as that and then continue to wear it, whether you buy it for $40 or $400. And I think it is the, the, the fast fashion mentality of buy it, wear it, throw it away is a lot more destructive than um, finding something that you love and feel special about and buying it once and keeping it for 15 years. At the level that we're doing it, there's no impact. And I believe as a brand, there are so many industries that don't even get discussed that are, that are problematic environmentally, socially. You know, and there's been a lot of press and conversation recently about the grading of fashion brands overseas, and I really don't know anything about that. But it's wonderful that it's in the conversation. Uh, brands are taking that hopefully seriously to make sure that they are not exploiting and that they're not, you know, uh, negating the opportunity of, of, of people in different places. Benny was one of the judges at the ID International Emerging Designer Awards this year, and I asked him about his first impressions. They are phenomenal. I can't do what they do. Um, to be judging them, it's almost... It's, it's ineffectual. Obviously, there needs to be a winner because that's the fun of these sorts of creations. But um, I kind of believe all of them are, are incredible winners and the fact that they poured the kind of intensity, time, intelligence, blood, sweat and tears into what they've done is actually the, the most incredible thing. And to sit there yesterday and have to be hard and have to say, no, I don't like that for these reasons and yes, I do like this for these reasons, you just have to be instinctual and do it as your gut moves you as opposed to trying to think about it too much because actually they've all put so much time and effort and love and passion and desire into it. And just because I don't get it doesn't mean that someone else won't get it. I was embarrassed about how good they are versus how not as good as them I am. Uh, <laughs> sit there and judge them. And so it's amazing to see the developments, particularly the technological and fabrication developments that some of the students have brought. And the fact that we've got people in, in the mix from the Dominican Republic, from Peru, from Poland, 
from you know the United Kingdom, Bangladesh, from uh, India and Singapore, uh, Hong Kong. It's it's so exciting that you know there is this global intensity around this event around ID fashion. That was Benny Castles, the creative director and designer for World, and I'm your host, Sonia Sly. Now, if you would like to listen again, we'd love for you to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podbeam, Stitcher, Radio Public, or wherever you get your podcasts. Catch you next week when I talk sustainability and developments in technology with the brand that invented jeans, Levi's. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.